Right. You stop. Um, hello, I'm Bridget. I'm a person in recovery. Okay. Thank you for um, asking me to speak, Donnie and Marcia. And um, yeah, I was planning on just um, kind of fading into sleep during the meeting, but now I have to be alert. Um, that's okay. Um, gosh, the nice thing about not knowing, having advanced notice that I'm going to speak is I don't have to stress about it, but I also kind of am blank right now. And I was just thinking earlier that today I actually shared on a couple of meetings. I don't, I don't actually do that very often. And, and when I do, it's always very surface and very kind of disconnected. So anyway, so I came into um, an AA meeting for the first time in November of 2019. November 1st is kind of the beginning of this journey. Um, and if you care about the continuous sobriety detail, my sobriety date is December 3rd, 2019. But I'm kind of getting away from that a little more lately. Just, I think November 1st is a lot more significant because I actually, without turning it into a punchline, you know, referred to myself as an alcoholic for the first time, really. So, um, there's other stuff going on too. Codependent, um, probably qualify for um, SLAA and some kind of OA or something along those lines. Um, when I was a kid, my first mode of escape was um, daydreaming and sugar and those are actually the things I'm struggling with now more than ever. Um, drinking is kind of not really something that's, um, or the idea of drinking is not really burdening me right now. It's, it's more just the obsession with um, excessive amounts of sugar and um, daydreaming and wanting to escape discomfort. And I, that started early on in my life, I think, because of um, cer certain circumstances. One of them would be witnessing family members with a terminal illness, uh, one after the other, you know, um, witnessing their illness. Um, I became pretty germaphobic and a hypochondriac at an early age too um, because of all that stuff, I think. Um, and the other thing would be school was very hard for me. I attended Catholic school for nine years and the early years were especially difficult because, um, up, you know, these days it, it's called bullying. I was bullied and, um, yeah, that was definitely something to make me feel very uncomfortable in my own skin and self-conscious. And honestly, I wish homeschooling had existed back then because it probably would have made academics and everything a lot more comfortable and easier. 
because yeah, I had a lot of anxiety and in kindergarten, I would pretend to be sick all the time. And um, it's a wonder I wasn't held back. But anyway, so I felt pretty uncomfortable at a young age. I wanted to escape my circumstances. And I did that regularly. And yeah, as I got older, that didn't really change. But um, some of my circumstances got a little bit better. Um, I made friends and had relationships and stuff like that. Um, but I would say I always, um, I pretty regularly had a feeling of discomfort and not feeling good enough and, or smart enough, <laughs> you know, things like that. Um, and if I, really take a look at it. I didn't really start drinking seriously until my 20s. I had had alcohol as a child and at family reunions as a teenager, but that was the only time I probably drank normally, you know, just, oh, a couple beers with my cousin and then we pass out or go to sleep or whatever. Um, so like late high school, early college, I started kind of dabbling in um, an eating disorder situation. And um, so, yeah, so I did that for, I think about a year. I don't really remember how long. And I really wish I hadn't because I've, I still have those thoughts. I still have that obsession, you know, but um, my friends actually confronted me about it. And I was, so terrified of losing those friendships that I stopped. And that's, I won't go into details, but that's why I became addicted to coffee for medicinal reasons. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I was so afraid of losing those friendships. So looking back on it, wow, how codependent, <laughs> you know, I was willing to give that this thing up and it's a really hard thing to, to stop doing. And I don't think I ever stopped having those thoughts, but I did take action. I, I don't keep a scale in my house. I don't have a full length mirror and I just try to just not, not think about this stuff. Um, but when I stopped doing that, I had really a really rough time with obsessive compulsive disorder to the point where I actually went to a psychiatrist, got a prescription but I didn't like the side effects. And at the time, you know, I was in my early twenties and I thought, well, I, this is, I'm in college and I should be partying and that includes drinking. And I don't really want to not do that. And I don't like the side effects. So I decided I want to, you know, I put basically put my interest in drinking ahead of that. I also have some issues. I don't know, personal um, issues and opinions about uh, for me taking medication, not for anybody else, just for my own, um, my own opinion about it and bias. Um, I think it helps a lot of people, but I just didn't want to, it just seemed like a bandaid. It didn't really seem like a solution. And, um, but you know, so was alcohol, but what I realized recently is, or somewhat recently is it did kind of take me away from that constant um, 
fear and anxiety and obsessive thinking about my weight or about whatever. And I mentioned I had bad OCD for a while. I mean, it was to the point where at work, I, I was less productive. I worked in the kitchen at the time and it was had all these rituals and counting and it just slowed me down a lot. So when I just, you know, had a few drinks, it just really might, I just stopped caring about that stuff. And um, I really loosened up a lot. Uh, the problem is I would occasionally like binge drink and be really sick a few times a month, probably. And the other thing was I would cause a lot of, um, I, a lot of drama and trouble with my friends. Um, and, you know, I uncovered a lot of interesting patterns uh, when I did my first uh, fourth step. Um, and I was very um, thorough when I did that. But yeah, there, I was using alcohol as a tool to get me out of awkward situations, get me out of relationships, get me into new ones, do something, you know, do dumb things that would hurt people. Um, I also, you know, was like hungover all the time, but it wasn't as bad in my early 20s. It was, I was interested in going to wineries and, and all this stuff. There were some times with my family that were a little bit messed up. Um, my aunt had given me beer, so I thought, oh, I can give my younger cousin alcohol. And it ended up blowing up in my face and another cousin like called me out on it. And there was this whole thing. And um, I think he'd already been using drugs and he had admitted to huffing and stuff like that. Um, and I know he had some his you know his mom married someone who was no good and so he had some trauma and so I didn't think he was self-medicating or whatever so he probably I think he was fertile ground to abuse stuff anyway but I do feel partially responsible um you know I, I've always felt very responsible for him but he did end up becoming an addict and um it does run in the family. Um, so I gave him, you know, I gave him alcohol. So of course I like beat myself up about that, but, and there were some other dramatic situations, um, that happened, but you know, it never really felt like it was that out of control. The only couple, I only had a couple people in my life who actually kind of question my drinking and so the cousin I guess her calling me out on what I was doing was one kind of thing my grandmother was someone who was always concerned about how much I was drinking and she was always concerned about my mom's drinking looking back on it and I kind of wonder you know, sometimes who else she might have witnessed drinking in the family you know haven't really done a thorough like um, family history of drinking but it's interesting that she was one of the few people to actually like pick up on it but again it didn't really seem like that weird at the time because I was just hanging out with people that were doing it I was again you know college party animal age um 
I dated someone who brewed beer, you know, and, and we made wine and, you know, it just seemed fun and normal. And then I moved to New York and um, the next phase of fun and normal was drinking after work and happy hours and things like that. Drinking with my coworkers, including my bosses. And um, it always very normalized. And um, it was definitely, my drinking was definitely picking up. And I was doing a lot of the same dumb things. Um, and yeah, kind of causing harm and chaos. Um, there was, there were periods of stability though. I mean, I've, I've been lucky. I haven't gotten to a point of losing a job or housing or anything like that. Um, but I've definitely like hurt people and made really dumb decisions. And I think that's what weighs on me the most is just the harm I caused to people. Um, although I know I caused harm to myself as well. And yeah, I mean, just the being hung over at work all the time, the lack of productivity, not that that's the most important thing in the world, but when you're part of a, a team of people, like it's not fair to, you know, kind of be like downstairs hiding and puking all day. So it's, you know, really didn't, wasn't a good thing. Um, so let's see. I, I got out of like a, a, a long-term relationship. And then after that, I kind of had like an emotional bender, I would call it where I, um, you know, just, I should have given myself more space and more time to just heal, but I kind of just, I didn't, you know, and my drinking definitely picked up. It got sad. I was living alone, you know, drinking wine and eating like corn chips and nacho cheese for dinner every night. And, um, I had my cats with me. They, they weren't a fan of this version of me. And, um, yeah, I just kind of drifted for a while. I got into a couple relationships. Um, one of them was with someone who drank a hell of a lot more than I did. And we enjoyed drinking together and, um, and that was fun for a while until like blowout arguments happened and things were said that were, I can't unhear. Um, although I've sort of had a moment of sort of almost amends with that person now, but, um, but yeah, there were some really major red flags. A friend of mine once said, it's hard to see red flags when you're wearing rose colored glasses. And that was true. I don't know what I was thinking. I mean, just looking back on it, it was so chaotic. And looking back on a lot of these situations, I think, you know, a rational person, um, a sober person would say that's enough and walk away. But anyway, so that situation kind of blew up in my face and I luckily ended up finding the apartment I'm in now in New Jersey. And I'd lived in Jersey for years 
before this, but so, you know, still it, it stayed kind of sad. I did do some things that were kind of fun, creative things in that period of time. I tried, I tried comedy, doing stand-up comedy and stuff like that. And it was kind of scary and I haven't done it since, but I tried to like do things that were outside of my comfort zone, but I would always have a bottle of wine every night or maybe more and have my, you know, once that relationship ended, I would go out on my break at work and get a glass of wine. And in the early, early days of that, my coworker would go with me and um, I was kind of falling apart, I guess, really. But um, yeah, that was a nightly routine. And I pretty much drank every day for years, but like, I know that I drank every day during that period of time for about a year. And I, so my kind of uh, codependence slash love addiction kind of took me different places too. And, um, you know, that was, took me to situations that were kind of unappealing and not, you know, I obviously wasn't ready for anything serious because I was finding people that were unavailable, you know, that kind of thing. And I only mention this because this kind of ties into my, my bottom. And um, so I was sort of seeing someone long distance, but it was very wishy-washy. And so what happened was, well, first thing that happened was I went to my doctor for physical and uh, she asked me a bunch of questions and she asked me if I drank and I said, yes, I do. And she said, how much? And I said, the normal amount. That was my answer. And she said, okay, well, just so you know, the normal amount is one drink a day, <laughs> which I've watched documentaries since then. And actually there's no amount of alcohol that's safe. Um, but uh, one drink a day could be okay, I guess. But anyway, so I just smiled and was like, okay, whatever. And um, then about a week or two later, I had had a really rough day at work. I'd had my usual glass of wine on my break. I wasn't drunk, but I had a bottle of wine and I was getting ready to crack it open when I got home. I was racing to catch my train. Just I was trudging down 14th Street to catch the train to New Jersey. And I ended up slipping on the sidewalk, falling sideways onto my elbow, but I saved my bottle of wine, what didn't break. And my leg was all fucked up too. And I was in terrible pain. And so I took the subway to Jersey and then I took a car home from the train from not my usual stop. And um, I managed to, I, you know, called my friend and I managed to get the bottle open before the throbbing took over. <laughs> and so whatever, you know, it was just kind of normal. And the next few days were fairly normal, my routine, I guess I should say. And then um, on a Thursday, which was Halloween of 2019, I went to work and was like a part, it was a half day. And 
I work in retail. So when you're, when things aren't going well, you have a lot of time on your hands to run it over in your head and obsess about stuff, especially if you're hungover and having anxiety and obsessive thoughts, which I was. And um, so I didn't hear from my friend all day long. And I thought, well, whatever, I got to play it cool or whatever. <laughs> but like by 4 p.m., by the time I was going to take a break, I was like, okay, I'm going to go get a couple drinks. I, I just can't deal with this anxiety. And I did. And then my coworker went with me and we were gone way too long, drank way too much, came back. And I had this brilliant idea that we should go out after work and with our boss because I knew she would buy us drinks. And um, so, you know, I was being also very manipulative here. And I wanted to just escape. I didn't want to feel this discomfort and panic, I guess. And we did that and we went out and I was doing everything in my power to get validation from everybody around me. And then we went, we were like, oh, let's continue hanging out. And we went to the wine store and hung out for more time at someone's house. And then we went to a bar and, and... yeah, it was just, it wasn't a good, there was, it wasn't a good end to the night. Let's put it that way. And, um, I was really sick the next day. I'd traveled recently. So I, my bank account had been compromised. So I actually had to go pick up my paycheck and open or open a different account at my bank. So that was hell. Um, sitting in a lobby of a bank for like an hour waiting for someone to help me. <laughs> just so ridiculous. So completely unmanageable and out of control. And I was, of course, just, it was my usual thing. I was, I never uh, had a period of time when I didn't have a hangover. If I drank a lot, I always had a hangover from the beginning. So yeah, it was just, terrible. And I felt like shit for what I, you know, just the way I was behaving the night before. And I went home. Finally, it was over 24 hours. My cats hadn't eaten, you know, so I'm also a crappy cat mom here. And I went to the refrigerator. I grabbed the, the chilled red wine, my favorite. um, And I dumped it the rest down the sink and kind of just sat in my thoughts for the rest of the afternoon until about I probably like 9:30 p.m. or something and I called the the local AA hotline and they you know told me that there was a meeting starting in about 20 minutes near me so I, and I already knew there was because I'd already looked at the schedule, but I, I don't know why. I just wanted to talk to someone about it. And um, so, I, like, I got into an Uber and I raced down there. I, the way I remember it, I was late, but it was a candlelight meeting. So that was good because I'm pretty sure I showed up when it was dark already and candlelight. <laughs> um, and it was good because I had, like, a big old bruise on my forehead from the night before and... I'm yeah, which is terrible, I'm sure. And yeah, it was the first they were asking for newcomers and stuff. And it was the first time I said I was an alcoholic and people clapped. And uh, this woman said, 
in her share, she said um, something that really resonated. I haven't ever forgotten it. She said that she had been afraid. She said, I was afraid my feelings were going to kill me. And that's exactly how I felt that day. I had so much fear that whatever was on the horizon, I wasn't going to be able to handle it. And it was too painful. And, um, and I've had that, you know, I've had that all my life and I've had that since then, especially when it comes to friendships, relationships. Like I said, when my friends called me out on having eating disorder, you know, I was terrified I was going to lose them. But anyway, so that made so much sense in that moment. Um, And people came up to me after still in contact with some of those people. Um, Still see them around at my meetings and stuff. And yeah, so I tried to get to meetings every day and I started to feel more balanced. I had to kind of, I had to have a really difficult conversation with a friend of mine and I felt I owed my coworker an apology, although I still think I kind of owe her an amends too, which I haven't really gotten to that kind of stuff yet. I do like a lot of living amends kind of stuff and immense to myself. And I've had a couple of moments here and there where I feel like, okay, we're cool, <laughs> but yeah. So, um, so yeah, basically the next day was a Saturday. That was the day that I would go out with my coworkers to drink. And I, I knew I couldn't do that. So I looked up a meeting and I raced to it after work and, um, And I just kept trying to find meetings that accommodated my schedule. I was doing this for several months and then I, it started to get really difficult. So I actually found telephone meetings and they were really interesting. And I kind of liked them because it was like listening to the radio or something. And uh, it was a lot more convenient for my schedule, which is a little awkward. So then a couple weeks later was the pandemic stay-at-home orders, all that. And um, yeah, pretty quickly, you know, the local meetings went on to Zoom. (laughs) And at the phone, I was on the phone the whole time, like the first few months, because like at the beginning, I didn't have like a laptop or like not one from this decade. So, um, so yeah, I was doing it all on the phone. And you know, I thought, okay, well, I'll do these local meetings. I found a big book study. And then I started branching out and I found these meetings out of state, which are really interesting. Um, about six months in or so, I think, maybe a little longer, I was really just like, okay, I'm not going to do this religious or God kind of stuff. And I'd let my first sponsor know all this she was very open-minded actually but I was I think it was her first sponsee and weirdly once once I was laid off her she like was the opposite she was got more and more busy so we had less and less opportunity to talk and I was getting frustrated I really felt like I needed more attention and uh, not that I was going to go to a bar I couldn't you know and I could have gone to the liquor store I guess but I don't know. I was just like, it was very comfortable to just be in my home and I didn't 
want to leave because again, I'm a germaphobe. So I was totally okay with just staying at home. And um, I don't think I really was tempted when I got to stay at home because I wasn't being exposed to things that would stress me out really. I, um, but I did get bored with a lot of the kind of more traditional stuff. I wasn't interested at all in doing anything spiritual or traditional or religious. Um, I don't think it's appropriate to have Christian prayers mixed in with this. That belongs in church. It doesn't belong in a room where people are trying to recover. And so I was just like firm about that. And so my second sponsor was like, okay, we'll read the chapter, um, we agnostics. Um, and I did, and I took it very seriously and took notes. And by the end of it, I was like, nope, I'm definitely still an atheist for sure. I'm more sure than ever. And, you know, we kind of continued talking for a while. There were other factors that, made it seem like this isn't going to be practical. And I said, I, yeah, I don't think I, this is going to work out. And I, I did cite the, the God thing. I was like, it's really a lot about the God thing, but there's other reasons too. I just don't think it work out. And she said, Oh, okay. Have a nice day and hung up. <laughs> so I guess I dodged a bullet there because that's to me was a weird way to handle it. Um, and then a lot of time passed and I didn't have a sponsor but I did find the secular meetings. Didn't really know anybody though for the long, for, I don't know. Um, I mean, I kind of knew people on some of the meetings that I did, I started to do service on, but I didn't really have any like great close friends or anything like that. But I was going to meetings regularly, many, many, many meetings every single day. That's all I had. There was nothing else going on. I mean, I did put, I unpacked some boxes. I set up my record player. I did things to convince myself that the world wasn't coming to an end and, um, <laughs> you know, talked to my cats and ate too many Reese's peanut butter cups. But yeah, I mean, all that I really wanted to do was be on meetings. It was sort of endlessly fascinating and such a world opened up. And then I started doing service. I was asked to speak at a meeting and then I was asked if I would do, if I would chair a meeting and moderate another meeting. So I was getting busier and that was good. And um, yeah, but it wasn't until like, I guess about a year and a half ago that I like started actually making friends. And that's kind of was the, that was the big turning point for me. Like I knew people on meetings, but it wasn't until then that I, it was then that I started um, getting to know people and having people I could call friends, you know, in, in this world, in, in this recovery world. Um, and yeah, so that, that changed a lot of things. And I had the opportunity to do more service to uh, start hosting a speaker meeting which was really neat to do. And it was wild that, you know, I was being entrusted with that um, responsibility. And 
Yeah, I don't know. I did eventually have another to back up a little bit. I did actually like do a fourth and a fifth step with a traditional sponsor because I really liked the way she presented the fourth step. She was facilitating a fourth step workshop through this big book group that I used to belong to, um, which was really helpful for me. It helped demystify that step for me. And I, I really not the steps aren't for everybody and I don't think they need to be, but for people who are interested, it really was helpful to have a workshop to go to. Um, But then she kind of got a little kind of like religious on me or gaudy or whatever you want to call it. And I was really open-minded. I mean, she had me read this, she had me read Drop the Rock, which I, I sort of sped read. I skipped over a lot of things that I thought were annoying, but there were some little nuggets in there. And I, you know, but I, she got busy too. She's a nurse and, you know, a nurse during a pandemic. I mean, that's just a no-brainer. She's very busy. And I just realized this isn't going to work. And so I didn't have a sponsor for a long time. Um, I don't necessarily believe in it. You know, now I, I have people in my life who I call kind of co-sponsors and I have a, a bunch of different people I talk to um, if I need advice or if I just want to run something past, um, I do that. And everybody has a different perspective. But the important thing is they're listening and I, I usually... I like to hear what people have to say, but, you know, ultimately I'm the one that makes the decision. I don't really, I think for me, you know, like a sponsory kind of situation would has to be kind of, we have to be equals. It's not a hierarchy. And I think it gets interpreted that way a lot of the time, at least from what I've witnessed. Um, and early on, I probably needed a little more structure, to be honest. I didn't really have the structure I thought I needed or wanted, but, you know, each person kind of got me through a phase, an important phase. So, you know, it kind of worked out in a weird way. Um, right now I'm stalling on working on step one. I'm starting over with a different focus in mind, more kind of the emotional side of things and, I'm probably going to look at the food stuff too, because that's still there. That actually has popped its creepy little head up recently. And um, when I stopped drinking, I actually lost, I lost weight, which was kind of scary. And um, because I had, I had obviously so much anxiety and I still do. And when I'm anxious, I just, I will eat chocolate, but I won't eat anything else. But I'm trying to be better about that. Um, you know, I'm trying to eat like regular food again, but the, um, I am, I'm as obsessed with candy and cookies as I was with wine. And so it's definitely something that I'm taking a look at. Um, yeah, so I guess I'm, I'm sort of starting that process again. And I think another thing that will be important for me is getting outside help. I've, gone through a couple therapists in the last year and it just, it didn't feel right. And so I think I need to take a look at that too and really find someone that will be the right type of therapist. Um, 
I'm also interested in the use of psychedelics to help with anxiety. Um, they're, it's becoming a lot more mainstream now. So they're being studied for their use for even addiction and, and eating disorders and PTSD and all the other stuff. And I'm excited that it's becoming so mainstream now. And um, I haven't, I haven't done anything like that in years, but it's on, it's on the horizon. Like it's something I'm interested in doing. That's another reason I'm not really married to the idea of a sobriety date because some would say that that's not sober. I would say fuck off Um, (laughs) because it is an individual journey. And um, I don't know. It's also, my motives are different. With alcohol, it was to escape and to numb out, to drown, to deny. And this kind of thing is more about exploration, I think. But that's also what step work is for. Um, That's also what I understand meditation is for, but I don't meditate. (laughs) Um, Much to the irritation of people close to me. Um, I mean, I... You know, I actually think being out in nature is a meditation. Um, and it's, there's other things I do that are meditative. But anyway, um, yeah, no, I just appreciate this group. I appreciate this meeting. I feel a special sentimental attachment to this particular meeting because I think it's been, I think next week will be a year since it was started. And um, it's mostly us weirdo um, people in Eastern time that wanted to start the meeting in the first place. And um, yeah, so it's kind of cool. And uh, it was very freeing to find Tasnua and to be able to do kind of what I wanted with the meeting that I hosted and to start another one and to help do service on other meetings and Um, it really is the meeting that kind of transformed things for me um, during the Zoom era. Um, It's still the Zoom era, but during, you know, the early days of the pandemic. Um, There's been several groups that have been transformative, but this one has been constant, I guess. Um, Yeah, I'm just starting to ramble now. So I'm going to just end it there. Thank you. Donnie, for your service. Thank you, Marsha, for your service and happy birthday. And thank you for letting me be of service.